Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So today we are going to be commemorating, uh, in our services you probably picked that up, right? All of our references have been about uh, St. John the Baptist. And so today's the day on the Western calendar that, we, that, that he's commemorated. So we're going to focus a little bit on uh, the nativity of, of St. John the Baptist and see what we can learn about him. And he's an important figure. And, I was, and actually, uh, a month ago when I was preparing the readings and everything for, for, for today, Steve reminded me, actually, that, hey, it's the 24th. We commemorate St. John the Baptist. So I was like, ooh, let's do that. And so uh, we changed the readings because and, 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 I think it's important to focus on him and on, on his mission. And so that's what we're going to be doing today in today's text. So we're going to be looking at this text from Luke chapter 1. And John the Baptist is important because there's only three people in the New Testament that are prophesied about specifically in the Old Testament. The first one is obviously who? Jesus. We know that. that's the easy one. <laughs> Jesus, of course. That's the answer for every question, right? The second one was Mary, right? And then the third one is John the Baptist. Three very important people prophesied specifically about in the Old Testament that show up in the New. So we're going to focus a little bit on, on John today. So we're going to look at this text from Luke chapter 1. It's a really long text, so we're going to see if we can take a nice uh, overview about it. So Elizabeth, John's mother, she's about to give birth. This starts, this starts off today's, today's reading. But before we dive into today's gospel reading, it's going to be good to give the setting for this a little bit. And it's a well-known story, uh, but it bears repeating. So we know John's father, Zechariah, he was a priest. He's offering worship to God in the temple. It actually says he was burning incense at the altar of incense before the Lord in a service while the people were worshiping outside, and it just happened to be his, they cast lots for it, and it was his turn, and so he went in, and he offered incense before the Lord, and the text says that he and his wife Elizabeth, it says that they were righteous, so they, they were righteous before the Lord, they were zealous to follow the law, and they loved God and worshiped God, and they both came from priestly families, so then the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him he's going to have a son and he's to be named John. And he tells Zechariah John's mission and how he's going to be raised. You would think, <laughs> you would think that a priest whose job it is to offer worship to God on behalf of the people, you would think that if anybody would get this or that anybody would say, right on, Gabriel, I got it, let's do it. It would be a priest <laughs> in the temple while he's offering up worship. An angelic being comes and stands before him and starts talking to him. But he doesn't. He says, uh, are you sure? He expresses unbelief. And as a result, Gabriel says to him, dude, I stand before the throne of God in heaven. This comes directly from the, the mouth of God himself. You don't believe me? Okay. And he says, you're not going to be able to talk. He strikes him, he strikes him deaf and dumb until, uh, until John is born for his unbelief. He goes home and Elizabeth conceives. And then we know the story six months later, the angel also appears to Elizabeth's relative who? Mary. Elizabeth's relative, Mary. 
So in today's text, nine months have passed. Zechariah hasn't been able to speak, and Elizabeth is about to give birth, right? And so she's given birth. They all get together to give her a baby shower a little bit later. Maybe they did it after the baby was born in those days, right? So they all come together to celebrate. Yes, the child has been born. She gets presents, the latest, you know, Graco camel seat or whatever. She gets everything from, you know, from her, her, her red shoe there. And the baby is seen as a sign of God's mercy to her. And the baby is a sign of God's mercy to her because it says that they were both older. And so the time for circumcision, as well as his naming, comes around. And circumcision was the sign that the child was a full member of God's covenant people. And this goes all the way back to Abraham. The sign of this covenant of being part of the people of God was circumcision. So I'm going to ask you a a not very tough question. What is the Christian sign of being part of God's people? What marks us? Baptism, the circumcision of the heart, not of of the flesh. And so it's his turn. He he goes through this. So they're going to name him after his dad, which is normal for this, this part of the world, right? And it's still kind of normal today. In some families, a child gets the name of the father. I'm named for my dad. My dad's also Michael. Uh, when Isaac was born, I wanted to name him Michael, but we decided to call him Isaac, and his middle name is Michael. So this is like a normal thing even today to name a child sometimes after their dad. And so they're like, hey, we're, he's going to be named Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, nope, his name is to be John. And so they go to Zechariah, and they're like, hey, uh, Elizabeth said his name's going to be John, but you don't have anybody in your family named John. What's his name going to be? And, he's, and he, 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 he can't talk. So he motions for a tablet, and he writes down, his name is John. What happens then when he does that? As soon as he does that, his tongue is loosed, and he can finally speak again. Now let me ask you a question. He couldn't speak for about 273 days. That's about nine months. So if you can't talk for 273 days, what's the first thing you would say? I know what I would say. I would go to my wife and be like, listen, you didn't win all those arguments just because I couldn't talk. Now let me give you a piece of my mind. I don't know. Or let me tell you what I really thought of that movie or that show or the CD is awful. We've been listening to it. I've been trying to tell you it's terrible. I don't want to hear this anymore. But something happens. The first words out of his mouth aren't, oh, thank God I could talk again. The first words out of his mouth are a prophecy. And the result of that is everybody is wondering about this kid then. So the first words out of Zechariah's mouth is prophecy. And this is traditionally called the Benedictus for the first word, blessed. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the hour of his servant David. So who is Zechariah talking about here? He's not talking about John. The first thing that he says isn't about the child that he just had. The first thing he says when he's able to speak again is a prophecy giving thanks to God for the coming of Jesus, which is going to happen in a few months. And Jesus is going to save them from their enemies. He's going to show them mercy. He's going to remember the covenant. All of that that good stuff. He speaks of Jesus first. Then after he speaks of the horn of salvation, then he mentions his son, John. That John will go before the Lord. That John will prepare the way. That John will give knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And so Zechariah answers the question that the people ask, what then will this child be? Which is the title of the sermon. What then will this child be? He has the answer. And he says it. He answers it by first pointing to Jesus, the coming Messiah, 
and then his son's participation in the Messiah's mission by preparing his way. All of this fulfills the Old Testament prophecy we like to read at Advent, which he cites here, that says those in darkness, from Isaiah 9 to have seen a great light. And then the last verse says that the child grew and was strong in spirit and was in the desert. So that we ask ourselves, why did he go into the desert? When he, once he obviously, it's not like he was born and he was like, I got goo goo. And they're like, oh, he wants to go into the desert. And they throw him in there and like, see, I have a good life. No, you know, they raise him first a little bit, right? And when he's old enough, he goes out into the desert. So a lot of people have some, some interesting theories about uh, St. John the Baptist, why he went out into the desert. Some say, well, he joined this very, very like hardcore group of desert, uh, religious desert hermits called the Essenes. But there's, really, there's kind of really no proof for that. It's, it's kind of fun to hypothesize a little bit, though. But they were marked by asceticism, by uh, fasting and, 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 and stuff like that. And they kind of separated themselves from society because they felt like they were the remnant, right? That God was coming back soon, and they were the only real faithful ones. And so they're going to prove this faithfulness by living apart from everybody and being sort of like this kind of pure society that would uh, be the remnant that God would, would come and bless. They broke off and saw themselves as a faithful remnant. But there's no real evidence in the text that John was part of this. But what Scripture does clue us in on is his living in the desert signifies an ascetical lifestyle of self-denial and prayer. Self-denial and prayer. So going out into the desert is a sign that, and we see this in his later description, right? It says he was clothed in, what, in camel's hair, and he ate honey and, and locusts. That was like his diet. So he's living a very austere lifestyle. He's spending time out in the wilderness. That's what you did. If you went out to live in the wilderness, you spent your time out there in prayer, in lots and lots of prayer, because there's nothing else to do in the desert except pray. Have you ever been to the desert? I went to the desert once, and I, was, and I started praying that we could leave the desert and go somewhere else. It's not fun. It's not fun. I've been out in the bush in Africa. It's kind of the same thing. I'm like, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's, I hear there's black mamas around here. Why are we here in the bush? Let's go back to the air-conditioned lodge. It's much nicer there. But it was a sign of him being set apart of his own preparation for coming to prepare the way, this life of ascetical prayer and self-denial and learning how to be in relationship with God. And so let, let's touch for a second again on the surprise of the people. And it says the fear that came upon them, right? So his mom, she was older, but she was able to conceive. His dad was, was mute. And then once he obeys and names his son John, his voice opens. So everybody is looking at this saying, okay, this child is marked for something important. And sometimes we forget the world of the Old and the New Testaments, right? So he had a vision experience. He has a divinely orchestrated pregnancy. This would remind people of the stories of Abraham. Remember him? What happened with him? He was really old, he and his wife, and they were able to have a child, the promise of God. Abraham kind of starts the ball rolling for everything that Jesus is starting to fulfill. Who else? Hannah, the mother of Samuel. She's not older, she's younger, but she cannot conceive. And she goes to the priest Eli and she prays. And if, you heard, if you've read the story, he thinks that she's drunk because she's just pouring out. She's so grieved that when she prays, no, word, no sound is coming out of her mouth. And he's like, get out of here, you drunk lady. And she's like, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just in such sorrow because I, I, I want a son. And God blesses her with a son. 
name, the name Samuel, who goes on to anoint David. So they have these stories that they all know. All of the people there present, Zechariah included, Elizabeth included, would know that this child is going on to do something great. That this child is in the line of these great heroes of faith. So that's a lot of expectations, right? <laughs> you got to live up to this. And John will. He's going to surpass them all because his special task is to prepare the way for Jesus, which he does. So we, we look about this, when we think about John the Baptist, and we think about his story, what then will this child be? I think we can learn two very simple lessons from this story. Very easy lessons. The first lesson is, <laughs> it's not about you. That's pretty easy. Well, what's not about you? I'll say, well, your life. Your life. Our education, our professional career, our family life, our relationships, they are not about you. I like movies. Does anybody here else like movies? You don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. I like movies. And I like using them in sermons as dumb illustrations. So, and I'm up here and you're not, so I can do it. There's a, a Marvel movie. I like comic book movies because I'm a nerd. But there's a, a Marvel movie, and spoilers, uh, called Doctor Strange. And actually, in the movie, he's, uh, they, he's a jerk. He's a huge jerk. He doesn't care about anybody else other than himself. He's entirely, he's very driven, very self-focused, doesn't care about anything, doesn't care about anyone, just cares about himself and his career. He gets into a horrible car accident, and he mangles his hand so he can't be a surgeon anymore. So he then goes on this quest to find a cure that doesn't exist that'll heal his hands. And part of the movie... He, he's able to kind of heal when he has that realization. His teachers has, she gives him a view of, of life and says, hey, this is not about you. And finally something snaps in him and he realizes that. And that's just a silly example of, right, of something that I think that the biblical text is reminding us in the story of John the Baptist, that our lives are not about us. We are not our own, Scripture says, because we were bought with a price. So if our life is not about us, then what is it about? So the second very simple lesson we can learn from this text is it's about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He's the one that our entire lives orbit around. Our education, our career, our family life, our relationships. If we are in him, then all of these are not lived for us, but are lived by us for him and for his purposes. We see this demonstrated here in this text, that Jesus is first, John is second. So even with the happiness of this baby being born, Zechariah finally gets the ability to speak. He doesn't say, look at this adorable little baby. The first thing he does is acknowledge and exalt the coming Messiah. And we see this later on in John's life. When Jesus' ministry explodes on the scene and gets bigger and bigger, what happens to John's? It starts to get smaller and smaller. And someone points this out to him. What does he say in response to this? They're like, dude, like all of your disciples are leaving and they're following this other guy. They're following your cousin. What's up with that? Aren't you angry about that? And John says, John doesn't say, doesn't Jesus know who I am? Didn't he hear the story about how I was born? Who does he think he is taking all my followers and going off and doing his own thing? 
No, he says he must increase and I must decrease. That's the point today. He must increase and we must decrease. Why? Because our life's purpose is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, to specifically to the graduates today, I say this. What then will you be when you go to school, graduates? What will you be when you go into the workforce? Once your schooling is complete. Will you bear Christ? Will you point to Christ? And I'm not saying to like stand up in your desk and stand up, you know, in your office or whatever and, and like preach, grab a bullhorn and make sure it's tested. And no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not even saying here's a list of bad things you definitely shouldn't do as you go away to school or to work. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Here's the list of good things you better do. These you don't do. These you better do. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is will your faith in Christ be like St. John's? Will it be something that gives shape to who he becomes and his mission to prepare the way for Jesus? Or will your faith fall away, easily slipped off like an old sock? We have two options. As Bob Dylan said, you can serve the devil, you can serve the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. And ultimately, that's all of our choice. That's our choice, brothers and sisters. Who will we serve? Will we, like St. John the Baptist, will we live our life in, or, in the orbit of Jesus Christ? Will he be the one that shapes not only who we are now, but who we are becoming? What will you be? Live for Christ or live for yourself? And then I also say to the church and to the individual members of the church, what brothers and sisters will you be? What will you be? First as individuals, what will you be? Will you live your life exalting Christ, pointing to Christ, sharing Christ, having that attitude of he must increase and I must decrease? What will you be? And then for all of us brothers and sisters as a church, what will we be? What will we be as a church? Will we use the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of the love of God? Will we use that to drive and as a platform and as a base to launch us into what we are becoming? Or will we not? Or will we, we, just, or will we just be concerned about ourselves, about our programs? What then, brothers and sisters, will we be as a church? Hopefully, we follow the pattern of St. John the Baptizer who ultimately, ultimately led to his death in his story. Ultimately led to his own death. But that faith that he modeled, that was present from even before he was born, that Christ is paramount, that Christ is the one by whom, the one to whom we live for, the one that we shape our lives around, not only as individuals, but as a congregation, not only as wives and husbands and parents, but also as graduates and as children. What then will we be, brothers and sisters, graduates, members, church? What will you be, and what will we be? And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us in the near future.